Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Great to see you all. Welcome to Jubilee Church. Welcome all those watching at home and those upstairs in the posh seats. It's great to see you all. Isn't it great um, when you hear about things like TLG and Grassroots Global and Stepping Stones? And you realize, don't you, that um, we here as, as Jubilee are just, are just part of something massive. The church of God is just massive. Uh, wherever, wherever there's evil in the world, and there's a lot of evil, the church is right there in the middle of it, isn't it? You know? Right there where it should be, doing something about it. I mean, it's horrendous, isn't it? You know, that girls get trafficked. It's terrible. And if the church doesn't do something about it, nobody else is going to. You can't rely on governments and systems. It's our commission. It's our mandate to, to change the world. Each one of us is, is a potential... Well, not each one is potential. Each one of us is, is, a, is a history maker, a game changer. Each one of us has the ability to influence and change the people around us, change our own lives, and change those around us. I think it's so exciting. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. All over the world, people are coming to Christ. In the nations of the earth, and even in Jubilee, and even in Hull, and even in all the other little churches around the city, people are hearing the gospel and responding and becoming Christians. It's exciting. So don't, don't ever listen to the negativity. And if you're feeling negative, just ring me up. I'll, I'll give you some positivity right there. I'll tell you what it's, what it's really, because I mean, I'm positive about the church and about what the church is doing. And I, I encourage you, support Grassroots Global, support TLG. Pray for it, get involved. Bless your neighbor, do something. So that was just a little rant. Um, so um, we're looking at this um, series called He Is. And we're looking at the, um, week by week, we're looking at the character of God. And what I've got out of it is that as I've looked at the character of God, it's made me realize that I can trust God more. That, that's, that's the bottom line. And as you read God's word, um, that's what happens. You, you realize that, oh, right, okay, God is much, much bigger. I was really nervous about coming this morning because I had an eye operation this week. And I can see all you beautiful people, no problem, but my words on the um, tablet I'm having real problem with, so bear with me. I might have to use the gigs at some point, um, but I don't know. I'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, God is so amazing and so perfect. And as we've looked at the different aspects of his character in He Is, um, we just... It's just been amazing. I'm blown away. And today we're looking at um, two words that God is, that he is. And that is faithful and true. Faithful and true are like two rungs of a ladder going in, in, a, in a straight direction. God is faithful and he is true. They run side by side in parallel with each other. And we're going to unpack that today and look at why God is faithful and true. The offset, the offset of that is that as we realize that God is faithful and true, 
it encourages us to start to desire to embody those qualities in our own lives that we should be faithful and we should be true we should be people of integrity if we say we're going to do something we should do it we should be faithful and we should be true it's terrible isn't it you know the way that our society is going where people are not faithful and true I don't know how many telephone calls with scams I've had this week. It's just been one of them weeks, you know, like every other phone call on my phone was somebody trying to rip me off or, or, you know, take money from me or get me into something that I didn't want to get into. The world is not faithful and true. And I want to say that there is only one God that is faithful and true. And that is the God that we worship. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Through all generations. There's never been a time when God has not been faithful to you. He's always faithful to you. For all generations. Right, right before the beginning of time, he was faithful to you. In his plans for you before the world was made, he was faithful to you. And he continues to be faithful to you. But how do, we, how do we discover that? I mean, I'm just telling you stuff. I mean, you, you know, I, I, could, I could be making it up, couldn't I? So we need to look at um, evidence, don't we, for how God is faithful and true and why um, you can trust this God that I'm talking to you about. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2, 8, verses, um, sorry, 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. This is Paul writing from prison to Timothy. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The trustworthy, this is, sorry, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. And if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, verse sort of like 12b is a bit of a kind of like a verse that a lot of people get a little bit stuck on. If we deny him, he will deny us. That's a bit scary, isn't it? If we deny God, he's going to deny us. Does anybody a bit worried about that? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for being honest, Mark. Let me ask you another question. Um, those of you that have faith here, that are born again, how, how many of you have ever been concerned about losing your salvation? Let's be honest. Yeah? Yeah, most of us. That means, that means that your faith is genuine. 
yeah? Because it's so precious. Why would you not be concerned? Yeah? Even, you know, as a young Christian, I remember, I, I remember thinking that I'd blown it. Every, every other day I thought I'd blown it with God. I'd, I'd blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I'd done this. I'd done that. You know, I was always kind of like having to talk, to, having, having a chat with somebody in church. <gasps> but I've done this and I've done that and I've thought this and I've acted that way and I've, you know, I've kicked the cat and blah, blah. But yeah, it's, it's true, isn't it? We, we, you know, if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Well, if you deny Jesus, then there isn't anything left that you've got. To deny Jesus, there's nothing else. Jesus himself in Matthew 10, 33 says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I'll say that again. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see, to deny Jesus, there's no way back. But what about Peter? Peter denied Jesus, didn't he? So how did he get away with it? How did Peter get away with it? So maybe it means something different from just denying him. So there's a, there's a difference between weakness and wickedness. There is a difference between weakness and wickedness. Peter, in his weakness, yeah, in his fear, denied Christ three times. And in John 21, Jesus restores Peter and becomes the head of the church in his weakness. Now, this verse Paul is talking about, he's, when he's talking about denying God, he's talking about willfully, sinfully, and wickedly saying what you know to be true is not true. There's a difference. Can you see? There's a difference in that. And, and to deny him. But God remains faithful. Does that mean that because God remains faithful, does that mean that God's going to save you anyway? No. He's not been faithful to the person that's denied him. He's been faithful to himself. That God will always do what he said he was going to do. There's no deviation. There's no changing. Just because our circumstances changed. Just because, you know, everything changes in society. Just because the world goes on a different direction. You know, um, doesn't mean that God changes. God never changes. We've seen that a few weeks ago, didn't we? God doesn't change. There is no changing. If we are faithless, if we reject him, he remains faithful not to us, as if he was, has to save an unbeliever, but he's faithful to himself. Romans 3, 3 to 4 kind of helps us to see that clearer. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness not at all let God be true and every human being a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge if some are unfaithful will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness not at all God is consistently faithful and true even when we are not his plan was always always before the foundation of the earth to send for Jesus to come and to die in our place, to bring us back to himself, to restore us and to redeem us. He is a God who redeems and restores. The point is that God saves those who believe because belief glorifies his trustworthiness 
And God cannot deny that he is trustworthy. He cannot deny himself. He saves those whose faith magnifies his name. And he cannot deny the infinite value of his name. There is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. You can believe in and you can believe in anything you want, but the, the thing is, there is only one truth, and one way, and one direction, and one saviour, and that's Jesus. And that's what the world needs to hear. The best thing I've ever heard in my entire life is the gospel. It's, it's, it's the greatest news ever. That, you know, somebody that was so messed up like I was, you know, could receive Jesus and be changed and, and be restored and have a different life. There isn't anything better. You know? It is the best. There's only by coming through the way of the cross. You've got to deal with your sin. Who's, who's going to deal? How can you deal with your sin unless, unless you look at the cross where Jesus comes and says, let me do it for you. I'll I'll take it upon myself. I'll take your sin. I'll, I'll, I'll take the rap for everything that you've done wrong. And, and I'll deal with it so that you can go free. That is great news. And then, and then on top of all that, I'll give you a great life, an amazing family, and then I'll take you to eternity. I mean, come on. You know? And it's not going to cost you anything. Except it's going to cost you everything, isn't it? Because if, really, if you're really serious, then... You'll lay down your life. And at the end of all things, in Revelation, there's this great big battle, isn't there? Gemma. Gemma's suddenly got interested. Gemma, Gemma's really into Revelation. She's got some great, great teaching on Revelation as Gemma. But in Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16, Revelation 19, 11 to 16, um, the title in the NIV is dramatically, The Heavenly Warrior Defeats the Beast. So the NIV can be a little bit dramatic sometimes, but I'll read it to you. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Faithful and True. So the beginning, Faithful and True. Faithful and True. Jesus is Faithful and True. With, with justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that nobody knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of the earth were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, and coming out of his mouth is a sharp, double-edged sword. Sorry. Which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress and the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus is faithful and true. He is the faithful and true one that when, at the end of all things, when the kingdom of God comes again, he is the one that will do battle and will overcome and will set us free forever. Eternity will come with Jesus. The world's not going to be wrapped up because we've um, bodged up the ozone, although that is a, a, an issue, right? And we should be looking after the planet. 
But all of those things are nothing compared to what God can. God could put the ozone back like that tomorrow. Really, he could. You know, I'm all for saving the planet. I mean, my Debs is like a, you know, absolute eco warrior. I've got to recycle everything in my house. I don't have a choice. Um, you know, she's like, she's on it. You know, I, I hope you're not throwing that banana in the wrong bin. And obviously I am because I'm a bloke. I always get it in the wrong bin. But, you know, the world isn't going to be wrapped up because we've blown up the ozone. It's going to be wrapped up because Jesus comes back. It will end when God says it will end. Not when man says it will end. Circumstances don't change. That God is faithful and true. And whatever he says in his word, that's how it's going to be. And how do we know that? How do we know that this, what I'm talking to you about is true? Because God's promises are faithful and true. And his promises to everybody from ages past have come to pass. His promises are faithful and true. His promises to me are faithful and true, to you are faithful and true. He shows us um, by his promises. So I'm going to look at Genesis for a little while. So I'm just going to skip through a few chapters of Genesis. And we're going to look at Abraham and Abram. And we're going to look at Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. At 75 years old, come on, yeah, at 75 years old, God calls Abram. Great, I love that. Yeah, to follow him and follow him. And he promises to make him into a great nation. He promises that his name's going to be great. He promises to bless those who bless him. And all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Great promises. Did God keep those promises? Look at us. Look at us. We're his kids. We're part of his inheritance. Grafted into the stump of Jesse, it says, doesn't it? You know, we're grafted in with, with, with Abraham. We're grafted into Abraham's seed. We're, we're part of the family, you know. We're, we're in there, you know. And th- th- we're just like one small part of it. Just think about the nations of the earth. Just think about the, the generations past. Just think about the multitudes. Wow. Promises kept. Love it. Abraham didn't always get it right. In fact, he got, I mean, I guess at 75, you're going to get a few things wrong, aren't you? But he got, he got things wrong, you know? He had a, he had a beautiful wife, and that, that caused him problems. Yeah, when you've got a beautiful wife, I'm not going to sing the Dr. Hook song, by the way. When you're in love with a, yeah, we're not going to go there. But, you know, Abraham's wife was beautiful and it got him into trouble and he, he, was, he was scared that everybody wanted his wife so he, he kind of tried to pass her off as his sister, right? So, and, um, and God says in, um, let's, let's go Genesis 15. So in, in, in Genesis 15, Abraham's basically talking to God and saying, um, you're going to make me into a great nation, but the only, the only relative I've got who's going to inherit is a guy called Eliezer of Damascus, who was a servant. 
And then it says, then the word of the Lord, this is Genesis 15, 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Next chapter, Abraham's having sex with his slave to create a child. Not with Sarah. See, God keeps being faithful and true. And Abraham believes God, but then he messes up. But God's grace is always there. He's always, God's always calling him back to these, these two rungs of the ladder, which is faithful and true. His promises are faithful and true. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to do that in your life. Whatever God is saying to you right now, God is going to do that in your life. Just embrace it. You're going to plant a church. You're going to start a ministry. You're going to travel the earth. You're going to write a book. You're going to start a business. Whatever it is, God's faithful and true. God speaks and then he acts. He gives you prophecy and prophetic words to, to confirm what he's saying. But God is faithful and God is true. So Ishmael is born, but Ishmael is not the son of promise. He's not the father of the nations. It's Isaac. And then God forms a covenant in, verse seven, in chapter 17. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. You will be called Abraham, for I have made you father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful, and I will make nations come from you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you and me. Amazing, isn't it? God's promises, God's promises are faithfully and true kept. And I want to suggest to you that, that how, how do you know that God is faithful and true is that God's promises to you have been kept. You might not have kept them. I, I, I know that I mess up all the time. I was getting it wrong. I, I've got a wife to remind me of that, you know, which is good. But, you know, I call her disapproving Deb sometimes just for the camera. But, um, but it's good. It's good. We all, need, we all need calling up, don't we, and calling out on stuff. Hebrews eleven twelve tells us, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. You know, who wrote Hebrews? I mean, some people say it was Paul. Some people say it was Barnabas. But this is a bit rude, isn't it, to like, people that are older like myself, right? Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. It's a bit rude. Yeah, descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. God was faithful. He, he said to Abraham that that's what he was going to do. And despite Abraham trying to make things go his own way and, and mess it all up spectacularly, God, in his faithful and true character, mean, made, made it happen. And from Abraham came Jesus. And out of Jesus came us. Hey, we're in there somewhere. We're one of the stars, aren't we? One of the grains of sand. We're, we're there. We're part of it. 
And then there's the birth of Isaac. So Isaac comes along. And by this time, Abraham's very old, in his 90s. And then God tests Abraham again in, in chapter 22. Sometimes we think that testing is, is a bad thing, don't we? Taking tests and being tested. And it, it can be seen as negative, but when the one who's testing you has got your best interests at heart, when the one that's putting the test before you is there to pick up the pieces and to, to, to help you, then testing is actually a good thing. Testing actually um, makes you um, realize how much you need God. I've been through some terrible things in my life. I've had some really, really bad times. I've had, you know, and I know, I know you guys have as well. You know, things that people have said about me and spoken about me, beaten up as a young kid on the street by gangs, you know, rejected, you know, lost, lost in so many ways. But God found me. Go through, we go through stuff. We go through stuff, but God is there. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Ever-present. His promises are faithful. And Abraham in, in, 20, in chapter 22 is tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son whom you love. So God knows he loves him. Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. How is he going to do that? How is he going to go there, sacrifice his son and then come back? As a burnt offering. It's a bit strange. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went up on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it, and bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand for the knife, and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket was a ram caught by its horns. He took over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham for a second time. 
and said to him, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. What was going through Abraham's mind? Had he he learned to trust God to that extent that he would take his son? Those of you that are parents here, just imagine. Just imagine putting yourself in that place of of God saying, I mean, you'd be questioning, is, is that really God? Did you really say that? But he, he obviously was very convinced that it was the voice of God because he set out to do it, didn't he? But then he also knew that God had said that I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, this, and, and Isaac was the son of promise. Abraham trusted God. He trusted God. But it was a real test. It was a trial. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. This is James speaking. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We see that the promise of God worked out in the life of a very real man, Abraham with real conflicts, fears, and issues. Was it blind faith, or was it based on a deep understanding of God's holy and perfect character? And we all love verse 8, don't we? God himself will provide the sacrifice. God himself, and God himself did provide the sacrifice, indeed, in Jesus and that place, that Moriah is the, is the mountain where Jerusalem is. And Jesus, 1,800 years later, was sacrificed in, just outside of Jerusalem in that place. God, that was prophetic. God himself will provide the sacrifice. Jesus will come and be crucified. He will be our substitute. He will um, step into our place. He will lay down his life for us, that we may go free. That's the gospel. Yeah, you see, Jesus gets sacrificed, so we go free. He steps in. He steps in. He takes the the, the punishment that we are able to take ourselves. He bears the burden that we cannot bear. He is faithful, and he is true. He's always going to be faithful and true to you. He promises never to leave you nor forsake you. He said that he will be with you always, even until the very end of the age. That's amazing, isn't it? I love that. We we, we don't have to live as ones that fear. We have to live as ones that follow our great king, who is faithful and is true. His promises are faithful and true to you. I encourage you to, um, this week, maybe to read through Genesis, sort of like 12 to 22. It's a great read. It's a real person. A real person going through real struggles. Uh, But it's a journey of how Abraham, Abraham and Abraham discovered that God is faithful and true. Would you all like to stand with the band 
Let's come back. Let's just close our eyes for a moment and let's just, let's just wait on God while Dan and um, Paul get ready and Russ and Mags. Jesus said you only have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. Right? And a mustard seed is a tiny, tiny little speck of a seed. And, it, and you can tell this mountain to go and throw itself in the sea. So it's not about the size of faith that we have. But you have to have faith. And I, I just want to encourage you today to put your faith in Jesus. And as you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus will be faithful and true because he is faithful and true. And I want to encourage you to trust him with those things that you're struggling with at the moment. Put them in a box and give them to him. Come Holy Spirit. Come fill us up, Lord God. Help us to trust you in new ways. Help us to see that your promises to us are faithful and true. That you indeed, God, are faithful and true in our lives. While, while we're worshipping, if you feel that you want prayer or you feel that you just need um, somebody to just, just to pray with you, please just come down um, to the front and there'll be people here that will pray with you.